Welcome to the Salt Company Cedar Falls podcast. We're a ministry of Candeo Church, and we are glad you're listening. All right, all right, all right. Yo, Salt Cedar Falls, you can go ahead and take a seat. My name is Rudy Hartman. I bring greetings from Ames, Iowa, from my wife, Molly, and my bulldog slash black lab, Pippa, who is the cutest dog on the face of the planet. I bring greetings to you from them. And I want to do something just to, just to start out a little bit. Anybody here ever heard kind of the trope that like, um, like Christians aren't supposed to be like competitive? You ever heard that before, right? Like I think I hate that mostly because I'm very, very competitive, right? Okay, uh, confessions, number one. They're right. So I, in Romans chapter 12, I got like the, the proof text for that. In Romans chapter 12, verse 10, Paul is talking about like the social vision for what like the people of God should be like. And he says this verse, he says, you ought to outdo one another in showing honor. This got nothing to do with my text for tonight, but I want to hit you with this real quick. We need to take a little time to outdo showing honor to some of the people that were on this stage. Anna, Dalton, the worship team. Y'all give it up for the worship team. Thank you guys for holding it down. We honor you. We are glad for you. Yo, y'all need to honor your staff team. Oh my word, Elias and Laura who are up here. Steven Jones, the absolute goat. Love you so much. Yo, if you are not coming to Candeo Church, you are missing out. The elders that are here, I love them so dearly. Cody Klein, I am a better leader, husband, friend, pastor because of that man and because of the men who are around him and the team that is here at Candeo. Y'all got to be coming through here on Sunday mornings. Man, I cannot honor this house enough, but I'm so glad to be with you this evening. If you have a Bible, Luke chapter 8 is where we're going to be hanging out this evening. If you don't have a Bible, I'm going to be reading it out loud. You'll be just fine. I'm going to give you some time to get there. I'm not sure if it was Aristotle or the philosopher Justin Drew Bieber who said, What do you mean? When you nod your head yes, but you mean to say no, what do you mean? Hey, ayo. <gasps> Someone get that. Terrible. When you want me to stay, but you won't let me go, what do you mean? What do you mean? You ever had someone, like, talk to you, and, and you're kind of like, yo, like, <laughs> what do you mean? Like, okay, let, let's hit you. Did y'all ever, like, have, like, parents with the car, and you borrow the car, and they say, hey, can you be home? Here it is, around 10 p.m. What's around 10 p.m. mean, Ma? Like, is that 9.50? Is that 10.30? That's a 40-minute spread, and I'm not trying to lose car privileges. What do you mean? You ever had, like, a, like a professor hit you up and be like, I don't know if they hit you up. Sorry. <laughs> you ever have a professor cross you and be like, hey, what's up, youth? Um, like, you ever had a professor hit you and be like, hey, the page assignment is five to 10 pages. What does that mean? What? Is six pages too short? Do you really not want to read a 10-page paper? Give me a word count. Cut me some slack. Have you ever had, like, your boyfriend or your girlfriend, you ask them, like, how are you? And they look back at you and they say, I'm fine. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> or when, like, your crush hits you up and you be like, and they, they look at you like, oh, I like you so much. You're a great friend. Well, which is it? Do you like me so, or am I a great, what do you mean? You, we, we all got conversations. We all got times. We all got pockets where we just, we just want to know what somebody means. And the parables of Jesus that y'all are going to be walking through over the next few weeks will be like that as you walk through them. 
These are truth time bombs, rocks in your shoe, written and told by the person who created rocks and the material that shoes are made out of. And, and, and sometimes he just tells them and walks away. <laughs> Thankfully, tonight in our text, he'll actually mention not only why he does that, but go ahead and actually explain what he means in this parable in Luke chapter 8. I hope that was enough time to get there. Um, I believe that if the word doesn't do the work, then the work won't get done. So let's hop in the text and see what we got. Luke chapter 8, verse 1. Afterward, he was traveling from one town and village to another, preaching and telling the good news of the kingdom of God. The 12, his disciples, were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and sickness. Mary called Magdalene, seven demons had come out of her. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's Steward, Susanna, and many others who were supporting them from their possessions. Now, we just need to frame in the beginning of this parable quickly with two things I want to touch on from these three verses, and it's what Jesus is doing and who he's doing it with. So first, what Jesus is doing, he is doing what an itinerant rabbi, an itinerant teacher would do. He is going from town to town to preach and tell about the good news of the kingdom of God, which is exactly what he's going to be doing in our parable that we're about to read. He's using parables as a teaching tool, and here's for the education majors, an inductive teaching tool uh, to help people repent and believe and understand the good news of the kingdom of God that is at hand. He is offering an invitation into the kingdom. This will be helpful as we get into these parables, but it's also important to note who he's doing it with. He is also with the 12 disciples and some women. You are likely familiar with the 12 disciples. Disciples, the 12 men that Jesus called to be with him, to be like him, and to be sent by him. But he also has these women with him. And what's cool about these women, I, we could spend a lot of time here. I'm really not going to. What's cool about these women is it says, look at this last little bit. It says, and many others who were supporting them from their possessions. Salcombe, Cedar Falls, I hope a lot of you go overseas. I hope a lot of you go on mission. I hope a lot of you end up going on church plants, but I hope a lot of you also end up giving a lot as well. I hope you absolutely crush it in your job, make a ton of money, and give a lot of it away. That, that you'll also find, even as you have the opportunity to serve in the hallway after this service tonight, that you will also have the opportunity for the rest of your life to give. Pastor Johnny Hunt says that you are rarely more like Jesus than when you serve and when you give. And this text and this evening gives you the opportunity to do both. Okay, this is what he's doing. He's talking about the kingdom, who he's doing it with, his 12 and, and these women. But let's get into the parable. Luke 8, 10 through 4. I'm um, 4 through 10. 10 through 4. We're going to read it backwards. All right, no. Luke 8, 4 through 10. As a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from every town, he said in a parable, a story, a sower went out to sow his seed. And he sowed, and some seed fell along the path, and it was trampled on, and the birds of the sky devoured it. Other seed fell on the rock, and when it grew up, it withered away since it lacked moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. Still other seed fell on the good ground, and when it grew up, it produced fruit a hundred times what was sown. And he said this, he called out, let anyone who has ears to hear listen. And then his disciples asked him our question. What do you mean? What does this parable mean? So he said, the secrets of the kingdom of God have been given for you to know, but to the rest it is in parables so that, and he quotes Isaiah chapter, nine, verse six, or chapter 6, verse 9, looking they may not see and hearing they may not understand. All right, let's do a little work. Jesus is sharing a familiar story 
uh, to people in a first century near Middle Eastern context, which means that they would have been familiar with agriculture and agrarian practices. They were a people of the soil, familiar with farming. The sower, this planter, tosses seed over all the ground that he has in search of one type of soil that will produce good fruit. And yet Jesus speaks to four types of soil. He says he threw it and it landed on the path, no fruit. He threw it and it landed on the rocky soil, no fruit. He, he threw it and, and it and it landed uh, among the thorns and it grew up a little bit, but no mature fruit. The good soil, their fruit was produced. And Jesus ends this story with a curious line. He says, let those who have ears to hear Listen, and this is a clue to his hearers, both then and now, that Jesus is giving more than just a lesson about farming. And his disciples catch on, and they ask him a question many of us likely would have asked. What does this parable mean? And Jesus' response is interesting. Look at it. He divides with these words all of humanity into two categories. Those to whom the secrets of the kingdom of God have been given to know and those who hear the parables and are confused so that looking they may not see and hearing they may not understand. And that, that means, he means to say, what we see here is that the parables will be difficult to understand. Essentially, when it comes to parables, Jesus will tell these stories that make a lot of sense within the context of the first century. He'll tell these stories where it is a parable, it is a placing beside. He is placing a story behind a spiritual reality or a teaching or a principle about the kingdom of God that he is trying to communicate. And some people will hear it and say, great story about farming. Other people will hear it, repent and believe. He's saying that these are actually stories that put pressure on your life to form you more fully into the way of Jesus, into the likeness of Jesus, and to prepare you so that you might actually be a part of the kingdom of God that Jesus has been proclaiming. And this parable of the soils is no different. Jesus is saying something so clearly in this parable, and yet it is also to many still so masked. So Jesus gives a grace here. And he goes on to explain what he means. Verse 11. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. The seed along the path are those who have heard, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the seed on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. But having no root, these believe for a while and fall away in a time of testing. As for the seed that fell among the thorns, these are the ones who, when they have heard, go on their way and are choked with worries, riches, and the pleasures of life and produce no mature fruit. But the seed on the good ground, these are the ones who, having heard the word with an honest and good heart, hold on to it and by enduring, produce fruit. Okay, let's clear a couple things up. Let's get the characters in this parable straight. First, the seed, Jesus says, is the word of God. The word of God being referenced is the good news of the kingdom of God. This seed is what Jesus has been teaching. He is teaching that there is actually a way for the kingdom of God and you to actually come together. There is a way for you to be able to enter the coming kingdom. There is a way for you to come home to God. And he says, in Mark chapter 1, you must repent and believe the good news of the kingdom of God. 
The good news precipitates that there was bad news. And the bad news is that apart from repenting and believing, you are outside of the kingdom of God. You have no home in the kingdom of God. You have no place, no right, no way into the kingdom of God. It is only by repenting and believing, repenting from our sin, turning away from it, and believing in Jesus as our Savior that we are able to come home to the kingdom. So this is the seed. This is the word of God. It is the gospel, the good news of the kingdom. And all that is necessary to produce fruit that aligns with the kingdom is found in the seed so long as it is in the right soil. Number two, to color this in a little bit more, the sower of the seed here is Jesus. He is the one who has been, as we saw in Luke chapter 8, verse 1, proclaiming and teaching on the kingdom of God. He is the one who has been sowing. He's just been throwing seed all around. He's been just anywhere he goes, I am going to preach about the kingdom of God. Jesus is explaining in this parable what is happening as he goes and teaches on the kingdom. The seed lands as Jesus sows, but the question is this. Will the soil take the seed and bear fruit? Which begs the central question of our parable. What is the soil? You saw it in the text. The soil is the people that hear. The soil is those who hear. Jesus says it, let those who have ears to hear listen. The soil is the people. Even more specifically, it is the hearts of the people. Now this idea of the heart needs to be teased out for just a moment. In the ancient Middle East in the first century, the heart was considered, as it is today, a physical organ with a significance physically, but it also here significance spiritually. The heart, the cardia, was what moved the body. If it was beating, there was movement and life. The physical importance reflects the spiritual significance of the heart as the center of a person. The heart is used in scripture to refer to the seat and center of human life. You could think of it as the air traffic control tower of your life. It is where the decisions are made the control center for who you are. Gleason Archer calls it the desire producer that makes us tick. And this is the focus of Jesus in our parable. The heart of the hearer of the word of God. That's the soil he's talking about. The seed is fixed. It's the word of God. The sower is fixed. It's anybody, in this case Jesus, but anybody who is proclaiming the gospel, the kingdom of God, or teaching the word. But the focus is the heart. And in this parable, Jesus is teaching us that the seed is sufficient and the sower can sow. But the problem is is the heart. In fact, Jesus shows us that the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. And there are two things within that that are simultaneously being communicated. One is evaluative and the other is eternal. So in an evaluative sense, Jesus is telling us who we might be right now. When Jesus is describing these four soils, he is saying this is who you might be right now. You might be soil one, soil two, soil three, soil four. That might be the condition of your heart, how you hear, how you receive the word of God, how you receive the word of the gospel right now. Evaluative. But it is also eternal. Jesus is not only telling us what we might be right now, he is telling us what we one day must be if we are to enter into and be a part of his kingdom. And I want you to to practice a two-handed listening as I walk through these four soils briefly. On one hand, I want you to hold the evaluative, that this might be what you are right now. And on the other hand, I want you to hold the eternal, because this is what you one day must be if you are to enter into the kingdom of God. And that might sound heavy, 
And that's because it absolutely, unequivocally, unquestionably is heavy. Let me remind you, not in a way to scare you, but maybe in a way to sober you up for a moment from a culture that tries to convince you that certainty is real (laughs) and that death feels far away. In the words of Trippy Red, you gonna die. Like, you gonna die. (laughs) Psalm 90, verse 12, the psalmist says, teach me, O Lord, to number my days. If, if I get 80 years, teach me to number my days. If I get 80 years, that means from today, I have 18,653 days left if I die on my 80th birthday. And here's the kicker. Not a single one of those days is promised. The illusion of certainty that we live in intoxicates and distracts us from the urgency of eternity that is impending upon us. If there is anything you should have learned over the last two years, it is that certainty is a myth. One day, if you're going to think Hercules, the golden strand, will be cut. One day, you will die. Eternity is a long time. Everyone will spend it somewhere, either in eternal paradise or eternal punishment. And Jesus is telling us what we might be, but he's also telling us what we must be. So as we look at these soils, keep those hand in hand, evaluative and eternal, what you might be now and what you one day must be. So listen to these and evaluate yourself. Look at yourself. Don't think, oh, this is like my friend over here that's, no, look at yourself, Salt Company. So we look at soil number one, the hardened path. Chapter eight, verse 12, the seed along the path, are those who have heard and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Or it is clear that the devil has a desire for you and it is that you would not believe and not be saved. And when we're talking about the devil, I always want to point out three things. One, one one-on-one, you alone against devil, you lose. But that's not the end of the story because number two, he's not stronger than God is. In fact, we have this tendency to ascribe attributes that are God's to the devil. We have this tendency sometimes to consider Satan, consider the enemy of our souls, consider the one who does not want us to believe or be saved and think that he is all powerful and he is all present and he is all knowing and he is all none of those things. God is all-powerful and all-present and and, and all-knowing. The devil is not. He's put the smack down on him, and he will. He's not stronger than God, which means, number three, that when we are filled with the Spirit of God, we are able to resist, enabled, empowered by grace to resist and overcome the schemes of Satan. The same Spirit, Romans chapter 8, 13, that raised Christ Jesus from the dead, dwells in you, lives in you. The same spirit that defeated death can defeat the devil. But note that I said schemes. I think sometimes our understanding of Satan, whatever, is informed a little bit more by like Hollywood than scripture, okay? You might think like full frontal assault, floating things in the air, whatever. Maybe, perhaps. But perhaps it's more likely that his assault against you will be subtle. 
that through the creation and perpetuation of conditions that harden your hearts to not receive the word of God, to not receive the gospel, to not receive the good news of the kingdom is actually how he will work you so that you might not believe or not be saved. Perhaps he uses certain conditions to harden us and to snatch the seat off the road. Perhaps he will use your busyness and, and your, uh, that you're moving too fast and continue to add more and more and more and more and allow more and more and more people to put more things on your plate so you never actually slow down to consider the good news of the kingdom of God. Uh, perhaps he will use bitterness in relationships that you have around you and relationships that you have had within the church to keep you away from even possibly considering that there could be a good God. Perhaps he will blind you. Maybe he will blind you with loves, things that you give too much attention to. Maybe he will blind you with lies, things that you give too much belief to. Busyness, bitterness, blindness, all blending into a hard heart. Salt Company, this is why you can never hear the gospel too much and why we can never preach it too much from up here. Because we are coming after those lies. We are coming after those things week after week after week because the condition of your heart might be like a hard-pressed path that people have walked all over. The seed never even cracks the surface, so the birds come and they take it away. So remember, evaluative and eternal. Is this you? Like, is this you? You gotta be honest with yourself tonight. Are you the soil that's just the hardened path? Seed falls on it, but it's too busy, too bitter, too blind. I don't even want to slow down to consider. I don't want to surrender my busyness. I, I, I don't want to even try to squint through the scales that are in front of my eyes. I, 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 I am hard-hearted. But you resist and you resist and you resist and you resist and you resist. Is that you? Is that the condition of your heart? Is this your soil? Or is it soil number two? Luke 8, 13, the rocky soil. And the seed on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. Having no root, these believe for a while and fall away in a time of testing. Now, to be clear, this wasn't like a sower, like finding a pit of gravel and being like, I'll throw some seed here. That doesn't make any sense. In, in a Palestinian in a, in a Palestinian plain, uh, there would have been a thin layer of topsoil that would have been over a uh, ground that was covered with rocks. It would not have been obvious that there was rocks underneath the soil. So it looked like good soil, but it wasn't, and it wasn't the road, but underneath it was rocks. So here, the seed can get into the ground, it can germinate, and it can sprout, but the roots have nowhere to go. Note the words of Jesus. These hear the word and receive the words with joy, but after a while, these fall away in a time of testing. Just picture this. Like a seed hits the ground, it germinates, and it grows a little bit, and then the sun comes out, the heat beats down, this little vulnerable plant needs moisture, but the roots are in the rocks, and there's no moisture to be found, so when the heat comes down, the plant dries up, it withers, and it dies. This is the condition of the one who faces pressure. The heat of the sun in a time of testing and they have no roots in the ground that can get to moisture so their faith withers and it dies. These are heartbreaking words of Jesus. It says that this is the person that received it with joy, that was excited. They were stoked on the gospel and then something happened. 
the wrong person, the wrong place, the wrong moment, the wrong decision, pressure from culture pressing in on them following Christ. Just to, I gotta watch my time, just to speak clearly to this. I, I hear all these hot takes sometimes about people who are like, hey, after the pandemic, after the pandemic, after the pandemic, whatever, following Jesus is going to go back to normal. It's going to be easier. Everything's going to go, whatever. But what if it's not? Like, what if we've moved into a cultural moment wherein the, the pressure that culture pre- puts on you for following after Christ on your campus and in your career actually is never easier than it is right now? Maybe there's more joy, and I think there is. Maybe there's more intimacy with God, and I think there is. More knowing him and more being known by him. But, but what if, what if, what if it's not ever easier? What if the pressure stays on? I wonder if this will be you. Again, an evaluative moment. Is this you right now? Are you experiencing pressure as culture bears its weight on you being a Christian? As sin bears its weight on you putting your trust in Jesus as Savior? As the heat of the kingdom of this world puts its beating down on you and your roots simply aren't deep enough for you to get moisture? Could this be you? Or are you perhaps soil number three? Luke chapter eight, verse 14 As for the seed that fell among thorns, these are the ones who, when they have heard, go on their way and are choked with worries, riches, and pleasures of life and produce no mature fruit. Again, a little bit of context. As the seed grew in this soil, it would grow up with the thorns and the weeds, and initially the two plants would look the same. It would have been difficult to discern between the initial shoots and the ground, but as the seed grew and as the thorny plants grew, the weeds and thorns would have grown up and grown down, and their roots would have sucked the nutrients out of the soil that would have needed to feed this particular seed. It grows larger and larger, growing up and growing down. Roots that would literally choke out the good seed, stop it from producing mature fruit. This is the heart and the condition of those who hear the word of God and go on their way, but as they are going, they get choked out. The worries of life become more important than the kingdom of God. The riches in life, having riches in life become more important than the kingdom of God. Pleasures that you want and experience and, and, and need and feel like you crave in life become more important than the kingdom of God. I'm super nervous about this one in our culture. I'm super nervous about this one on our campus. I'm super nervous sometimes about this one in the context of the church, particularly in America. Because when it comes to following Jesus, some people think that Jesus is supposed to give them the very things that will actually choke them out. Jesus, give me riches. Jesus, give me these pleasures. He becomes your God genie here to serve your every need. He's not the king of the kingdom, but he's your little pet who fetches you whatever you want whenever you want it. And when you worry and you work and you go and you get riches and pleasures, they choke out your life with God. Check this now. Jesus is not speaking against enjoyment of good things. He is speaking of a right order, not to let good things become God things in your heart. So when good things become God things, they choke out your life with God. They become more important to you than God is. See, there's a story of a guy who was a disciple of Paul. In Philemon chapter 1, there's only one chapter in Philemon, but Philemon chapter 1 verse 24, uh, we see that he's actually referred to as a fellow worker with Paul. In Colossians chapter 4 verse 14, we see that, that this guy is actually considered a friend of Paul. So he's the friend, 
He's a disciple of Paul, a fellow worker with Paul, and this guy's name is Demas. And he comes up one final time at the end of 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 9 through 10, when Paul says, do your best to come to me quickly, for Demas has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. What? Friend? Disciple? Co-laborer? Uh, sorry, I should have read the whole verse, I guess. For Demas has deserted me because he loved this world and has gone to Thessalonica. The word for love here is important because it's the word that we often ascribe as the word that means the love that we should have for God. Paul says Demas agaped the world. He so deeply loved it that it became first and primary so that he abandoned Paul and the work that was in front of them and was choked out by his love for the world, by its worries, its riches, and its pleasures. Again, an evaluative moment, Salt Company. Is this you? Are you in love with the world? Is it choking out your life with God? Your obsession with worries and riches and pleasures, are they the thorns in the soil of your heart that is choking out the good seed of the gospel that Jesus longs to plant? You see, this might sound harsh this evening, but Jesus is actually too good and he is too kind to let us be deceived. He is, he is too loving to let us deceive ourselves when we are the hardened path or, or if we are the rocky soil or, or if we are in the thorny ground. He's too good. He's got a better plan. He tells the parable to expose our hearts for us to come face to face with ourselves and evaluate where we might be right now. But remember, he's not just saying what we might be right now. He's also telling this so that we might know what we must be to eternally enter into the kingdom of God. And we see that in soil number four. Luke chapter eight, verse 15, from the words of Jesus. But the seed in the good ground these are the ones who having heard the word with an honest and a good heart hold on to it and by enduring produce fruit the only one that produces fruit this is what we must be Saul Company this is what we must be we must hear the word with an honest heart, evaluate ourselves, hold on to the world word, regardless of the heat of the pressure and suffering that we may experience for following Jesus and endure whatever may try to choke out our life with God because we actually see the kingdom of God. We actually see the gospel of Jesus Christ as more valuable than anything around us. It is actually worth it to us more than anything else, any pressure we might experience, any busyness, any bitterness, any blindness, anything that might try to choke us out, worries or riches or pleasures, that it's more beautiful that God so loved the world that he sent his only son from heaven to earth to live a perfect life that we could never live and die the death that we deserved on the cross, giving us his place before the Father is perfectly righteous and taking our sin that separated us from him on himself, going into the grave, leaving sin, death, and separation from God there, rising victoriously ascending to the right hand of the Father and offering to any who would repent of their sin and believe in the gospel a way to come home to the kingdom of God, that that would actually be more beautiful than anything else in your life. Amen. This is how we receive the gospel. We hear it and we hold on to it. And because of the grace of Jesus, we endure. This is the parable of the sowers. 
It's where you may be now, but it's where we must be at the end. So how do we respond? How do we respond to this? Well, you have to have an honest heart. So be honest with yourself, Salt Company. Are you hard-hearted? Are you busy, bitter, blind? Is there something that is causing your heart to be hard to the things of God? Something that is in the way between you and him? Are you experiencing the heat of pressure in your life? Are there things, riches, worries, pleasures that are choking you out? Where are you at right now? I got really good news for you. That where you are right now does not have to be where you will always be. In every kitchen, in every place, whatever you might, if you're just honest, you evaluate yourself and you're, I'm one of the first three. I've got a hard heart. I'm, I, I, I've got rocky soil. I, I, I've, I've got thorns that are choking me out. Here, here's what I want to tell you this evening as, as, I, as I start to close. If you turn to Jesus, he will turn your soil. If you turn to Jesus, he will turn your soil. You can turn to Jesus and he will bring what Dallas Willard might call a renovation of the heart. Are you hard-hearted? Hear the words of Hebrews chapter four, verse three. Do not harden your hearts in that day so that you might receive Jesus Christ as savior. Don't harden your heart, but come to Jesus. Where you feel busy, slow down. Where you feel bitter, I beg you to surrender. Where you are blind, I beg that you would squint towards Jesus. You can turn to him and he will trade out your heart and stony heart for a heart of flesh that can receive the good word and Produce good fruit. Are you experiencing the heat of pressure? Well, so did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. When they would not bow to the statue of Nebuchadnezzar in the book of Daniel, they experienced the metaphorical heat of pressure and the literal heat of pressure that as they walked into the furnace to be killed for not burning, not bending to pressure, while they're in the furnace, the onlookers look in and say, hey, didn't we send three people in there? Why are there now four? And why does one of them look like the son of man? Jesus who is with them in their pressure and he'll be with you in yours. Turn to Jesus and he will turn your soil. Are you experiencing the love of the world choking out your life with God? I told you about one Demas, but let me tell you about another one named Nicodemus. Nicodemus who came to Jesus Christ at night in John chapter 3. He he was afraid. He, He didn't want other people to see How would he be perceived? How would he be known? How would he be seen? Uh, Nicodemus who questioned the religious authority when they made assumptions about Jesus but didn't really stand up for him in John chapter 7. And then at the end of that book, who at the end of John we see is next to Joseph of Arimathea, wrapping the body of Jesus, honoring the body of Jesus, preparing the body of Jesus to be buried. And as he is walking to that body to prepare it, he knows, Nicodemus knows, he is about to lose everything. His status as a Pharisee, his status as a religious leader, he is about to lose everything because he is saying, I'm going to associate myself fully and publicly with Jesus. You can, you can just hear almost these words singing over him while he's walking there. Riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise. Thou my inheritance, now in all ways. Thou and thou only, but first in my heart, high king of heaven, my treasure thou art. When you turn to Jesus, you can see him as the one who is immensely, eternally more valuable than the worries, riches, and pleasures of the world.
He is the one who renovates our hearts when we are hard-hearted, facing pressure, or being choked out by the world. And he is the one who sustains our hearts as we hear, hold on, and endure. This is why we cannot hear the gospel enough, so that the seed of the gospel can move deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper into the good soil that King Jesus will till and turn in your heart as you are renovated by Jesus and and produce more fruit as you turn to him. That's the evaluative. But what about the eternal? What about the eternal? Well, if you end with a hard heart, the seed never took. If you end with the rocky heart, your faith withered up. You receded with joy, but Jesus is clear. You fall away. If you end with the thorns, you are more in love with the world than you are with Jesus. You fall away. There is no entrance into everlasting life. There is no entrance into the kingdom for those who resist, wither, and love the world more than the king. But you can and are invited to turn your eyes upon Jesus and look full in his wonderful face. And the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace. As you turn to Jesus, what remains for you is the assurance of eternity and the kingdom to come and the fruit of life ahead. And this is where Jesus ends the parable by saying that those who have the good soil, when the seed goes deep down, they produce in verse 8, a hundred times what was sown. Salt Company what if Jesus was to produce a hundred times what was sown through you? What if there were a hundred more generations after you of your family that loved and followed Jesus because you chose to love and follow Jesus? What if there were a hundred more people who decided to love and follow Jesus on campus at, at, at UNI because you said, I'll love and follow Jesus. I'll hold on, I'll hear it, and I will endure. What if, what if there were a hundred times more peace in your family as you being the peace of God within your family as he produced that in you and through you? What if there's a hundred times more love and care and mercy and forgiveness in your apartment as you loved your roommates who may or may not follow Jesus. What could God do through you if he gave a hundredfold of that seed that he has planted in your good soil? What could God do through a heart that he renovates and sustains? Through the one who hears his word, holds onto his word, and endures. What could God do through you? Let's pray. Jesus, search us. Help us to be aware of what we might be right now. Help us to know what we might be right now. God, if, don't, don't let us deceive ourselves. Don't let us trick ourselves, fool ourselves. Don't let us be so prideful that we would not humble ourselves to actually face who we are and the soil that we have and the hearts that we have. Jesus, I pray for my brothers and sisters who have hardened hearts that they would turn to you and you would turn their soil and make them soft. For brothers and sisters who feel pressure, that they would turn to you and know that you are Emmanuel, God with us, and you are with them in their pressure so they can hear, hold on, and endure. God, for those who are more in love with the worries of this world and with the riches of this world and with the pleasures of this world, God, that you would set them free and give them a deeper understanding of love as they see you all the more fully. That it would be worth it 
to put everything down, that it would be worth it for them to turn to you so that you might turn their soil. And God, as you do produce good soil, as you do help us to have hearts that are prepared to receive your word as we turn to you, I pray that the seed of the gospel of the kingdom of God will produce a hundredfold. God, that you would bring revival, you would bring new life in dead and dormant places, that the most hopeless would have hope and the most lost would know life. And the furthest would become family. That all eyes would turn to you, Jesus. And all eyes would turn to you and be saved. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Salt Company Cedar Falls podcast. For more information about Salt Company, you can visit saltcedarfalls.com.